You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas is continuing his series on Old Testament characters, now looking at the life of Eli. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Old Testament premium podcast number 26 on Eli. Greetings from Uganda, East Africa. I hope you're well, and uh, you'll get a lot out of the character study we're about to do on Eli. Eli is serving as one of Israel's judges, one of the last ones, in fact. It's late in the period of the judges. The tabernacle's at Shiloh. He's assisted by his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Phinehas is named after the other Phinehas, the zealous Phinehas, from the time of Moses, Numbers 25, whom we looked at earlier. Unfortunately, this Phineas is nothing like his namesake. Samuel is delivered to them uh, to be an assistant, a trainee. We'll read about that, even though we covered it in the previous podcast on Hannah. Now, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version, 1-9. Then Hannah arose after eating and drinking in Shiloh, Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and she, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. So we find Eli seated. Please note his position. This is significant. But he is near the temple of the Lord, and he's observing Hannah. Of course, she's praying, but she's not praying audibly, which was fairly unusual at that time, though her lips are moving, and so he misunderstands. Verse 12. It came about as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, but only her lips were moving. Her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. Well, of course, Hannah protests. She's simply praying, pouring out her soul. Eli answers, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. So we see Eli one of the last judges of Israel. He misinterprets Hannah's prayer as a drunken stammer, and I wonder where he got that idea from. He does change his mind based on the evidence. He blesses her again, in fact, and later in chapter 2, verse 20. But she delivers Samuel to him, and Samuel ministers there to 11. Like David serving at the court of Saul, Samuel serves under Eli, the one whom he will in time replace. Now, we go ahead to chapter 2, verse 12. The sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the people, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. And if the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now. If not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. 
We learn a lot about Eli simply by looking at his family. I guess that's true for, for anybody. His sons, according to the scripture, were wicked. Not only did they not know the Lord, but they had no excuse. They should have done what was right. After all, they were serving at the tabernacle. Apparently, because of Eli's advanced age, uh, he had delegated his duties to them. It almost seems like he's sitting it out while the sons are acting like the chief priests. The truth is, these men like to eat. There's an indication later that Eli may have been the same. The Torah required that meat had to be cooked, Leviticus 3.17. Fat was absolutely forbidden, forbidden. His sons did not know the Lord in more ways than one. The personal relationship was obviously missing or uh, withered, but also they ignored his word. What we see in the Samuel cycle, and that's what these chapters are called part of, we see the emphasis on knowledge of and obedience to the word of God as what it really means to know the Lord. So all these chapters uh, where Samuel appears, we'll see this emphasis on knowing the Lord, which really means knowing his word and putting into practice. Next, Hophni and Phinehas were sinning in a highly public manner for all to see. They were flagrant. They even threatened to use force to get their way. They seemed to have had, like some leader's children, an entitlement mentality, that they somehow were meritorious in their position or their actions, that they deserved the privileges and the perks that came with rank. And there's more to come. These men are violent. They're arrogant, flouting the law of God, flaunting their leadership position, unspiritual and without excuse. Okay, the father, as we'll see, was a weak character in some ways, but he was by no means flagrantly unspiritual like his sons. We continue in chapter 2, verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he had heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Wow. Eli's very old. The fact that he heard what was going on, he heard what was being said, the rumors in circulation, seems to emphasize his lack of involvement. He's not really with it. He seems to be separated somehow from reality and from what's really going on in his boys' lives by virtue of his advanced years. The younger generation, at least in his household, is out of control. What are they doing? They're getting involved in fornication. They're not married to these women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Is it ritual prostitution? I probably wouldn't go that far. I'm not sure we have the evidence for that, even though that was common at this time. But clearly, they have very little fear of God, if any. Now, Eli recognizes that their sin is grievous. And Eli says some things that are really good. Uh, you know, if, if one man sins against another... God will mediate, but if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede? It reminds us a little bit of what Jesus said about sinning against the Spirit versus sinning against the Son of Man. And then it says, 
They wouldn't listen to the voice of the Father for the Lord desired to put them to death. We know from Ezekiel 18 and many other places, God has no desire to kill anybody. He, he wants people to repent and live. But here the desire simply reflects his will. And that is that if we won't repent of sin, there are consequences. Eli tries to upbraid them. Looks like it's a case of too little, too late. Though we're not explicitly told that this is the case. Well, soon God will be speaking to Eli. Now comes the inevitable oracle. It was really just a matter of time. The unnamed prophet brings the oracle of doom. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, in bondage to Pharaoh's house? And did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests and to go up to my altar, to burn incense and to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. The doom oracle. Eli, as a Levite, was in a special position. Those who worked at the altar were allowed to eat many of the sacrifices that were brought. And yet they did this not for, to the glory of God, but for their own enrichment, their own engorgement. And it says that he failed to restrain his sons. Failure to restrain his sons was the same thing as contempt towards the Lord. It's interesting here, we also see that God, even though he had made uh, a promise, when man violates his side, the, the promise can be uh, abrogated. He had promised that the house of his father, Eli's father and the Levites, would walk before him forever, but now, far be it from me. Very interesting how sometimes uh, we, we want to take God's promises as absolute and unconditional, but occasionally there are actually conditions there. And then the very famous verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 30, those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. We pick it up in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you'll see the distress of my dwelling, in spite of all that I do good for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar, that your eyes may fail from weeping, and your soul grieve, and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. And this will be the sign to you which shall come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them shall die. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. And I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before me, my anointed always. The consequences will affect subsequent generations of Eli's descendants. There's no getting away from that. And 
And the Lord is looking for a priest after his own heart. Verse 35 reminds us of a very famous comment about David. And there are parallels. The mercenary character of his family's religious office has been exposed. And just the last thing the, the unnamed prophet says, And it shall come about that everyone who is left in your house shall come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, Please assign to me, assign me to one of the priest's offices so that I may eat a piece of bread. In other words, people are going to be looking for this priestly position just to support themselves. Obviously, Eli and his family were well supported. In fact, way too much because they're fattening themselves on these choice offerings. Well, the warning comes a second time to our man. And this time it comes through Samuel, through the little boy. And we read uh, in uh, chapter 3 that the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before him. Eli And the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. Well, what we're seeing here, visions were infrequent. Visions are how the Lord normally communicated to his prophets at Numbers 12. And uh, when it says the word from the Lord was rare, uh, it's not just talking about the the frequency of visions. Sadly, it's a commentary on the spiritual health of Israel. The word of God was having little effect. Eli doesn't see very well. Of course, the deeper truth is that he's not seeing very well spiritually. He's not seeing what's gone on in his own family. And yet, he's losing his eyesight. Literally, a blind man could still have seen visions from the Lord. But presumably, that's not the point. It's that Eli is becoming blind physically and spiritually both. Fortunately, though, there's a more receptive prophet on call, even if he is greener. And that's the boy Samuel. We continue. And the lamp of of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, that the Lord called Samuel. And he said, here I am. Well, here, there is still hope. I'm not trying to spiritualize the passage. It says the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Either that meant that uh, it would normally run out of oil and go out in the, at some time at night and they would relight it in the morning. I think that's what it means, but that's not the real meaning. The deeper meaning is that there's still hope. The lamp has not yet gone out. And as we know from the story, three times the Lord calls Samuel. Neither he nor Eli initially recognizes what's happening. And then finally, he runs, he runs to Eli. This is Samuel. And he said, uh, he said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I didn't call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. Samuel rose, went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Then, why not earlier? Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall speak. Uh, Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So Samuel, interesting comment, didn't yet know the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it's actually explained right there in in the same passage. This is 3.7. He didn't know the Lord. He didn't know his word. The two are intimately leaked. 
It doesn't mean that uh, those who know the Bible best know the Lord the best, necessarily. Or those who have not learned many lessons uh, don't know God. But still, there is a link. Uh, There's a link between knowledge of God's Word, love for God's Word, and obedience to God's Word, and, and just simply knowing God. Well, finally, Eli figures out that Yahweh is calling Samuel. And then the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for thy servant is listening. Yes. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And he said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Well, this is the bad news. In fact, it's uh, really just a reaffirmation of the message that came earlier through the unnamed prophet. And apparently Eli, by this point, has resigned himself to accept the bad news. Yet, once again, his parental failure to address sin in his sons is uh, underscored, and it's a great failing indeed. Well... Now we have the battle. The ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came, behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, eagerly watching, because his heart was trembling for the ark of God. So the man came to tell it in the city, And all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the noise of this commotion mean? Then the man came hurriedly and told Eli. Now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I have escaped from the battle line today. And he said, How did things go, my son? Then the one who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great slaughter among the people. And your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been taken. And it came about, when he mentioned the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate. And his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel forty years. Well, it doesn't take long for the prophecy to be fulfilled. Eli is trembling for the ark of God. This means more to him than anything else. But this day, he's lost not only his sons, but the ark, and in a moment, his life. 
we find him sitting on his seat, fearful. He's anxious. He, it says that he's, he's eagerly watching because his heart is trembling for the ark of God. But by this point, he's completely blind. So now he's looking, yet he can't see. And he won't see that ark because the ark has been captured by the Philistines. He's, he's just paralyzed with fear. And as soon as he hears that the ark has been captured, he falls over backwards. And again, although we believe he literally fell over backwards, there's a symbolic meaning. A symbolic meaning as his leadership is overturned in not a very uh, graceful way. He falls backwards. And the comment is, is uh, very simple, that he was, he was old and heavy. Was he heavy from a sedentary lifestyle? But there's more. It just gets worse. Now, his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was pregnant and about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she kneeled down and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have given birth to a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she called the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God was taken. And so here we read not only of the death of Eli and his two sons, but also his daughter-in-law. But before she dies, she gives birth. She gives birth, and she names the boy Ichabod. Ichabod. In Hebrew, there is no glory. Interestingly, kavod, the word glory, means glory. It means honor. Remember 2.30, God honors those who honor him. Interestingly, it also means weight, <laughs> just to come to think of it. It's not in my notes. So the ark is captured the most intense and tangible symbol of God's presence among his people. So what is the glory that's departed? It's the, it's the presence of God that, that Israel should have enjoyed, and yet because of poor leadership, did not. Let's summarize Eli's life. In terms of character, he's really out of the action. And I, I don't want to read too much into his being fat or heavy. You could argue, I suppose, that it was hard for him to do a lot if he was blind. But I also know that he was eating uh, too much of the sacrifices. He's uh, specifically criticized for that. And in addition, bad things happen when we're not busy in the work of the Lord. Just think of old David in Second Samuel 11. Well, we'll look at him later. He's also blind. He doesn't see what's happening under his very nose. He, and he can't literally see down the road the inevitable consequences of sin. Eli also is ineffective. He might, might say the right thing, but without the conviction and timing that are vital to his really being a spiritual force to be reckoned with. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 56, verses 9 to 12, which critique the leaders of Israel, although this is many centuries later. Please listen. 
Come, all of you beasts of the field, come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Each seeks his own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today, or even far better. The leaders of Israel sought pleasure. And part of seeking pleasure is seeking to avoid pain. In Eli's case, the pain of honest, forthright communication if the rebukes have been given earlier. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, well, am I avoiding the uncomfortable talks? Am I procrastinating or am I getting down to what I need to do? In my own example, in church, am I active or passive? Do I have a sedentary, pleasure-orientated lifestyle or am I in the action? Well, we come now to the most important part of the podcast. And, of course, all of this is in the notes. I hope you'll look at those notes because there's so, much, so many ideas there for further study. But it's what we learn about God. One, God honors those who honor Him. Two, when parents inculcate discipline in their children, or I should say when they fail to inculcate discipline in their children, in their children, the Lord may just take over. Three, God may leave a leader in place for many years despite glaring weaknesses. Certainly that was true in the case of Eli. And four, God's promises may in some cases be nullified by human disobedience. No one is above the law or can act with impunity. And so once again, God honors those who honor him. When parents fail to discipline their children, the Lord may take over. God may leave a leader, an unqualified man in some ways, in place for years without replacing him at all. And God's promises may in some cases be nullified by human disobedience. Well, despite the mixed quality of his spiritual leadership, and Eli wasn't all bad, his protege turns out quite well. In fact, Samuel is the subject of our next podcast. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Eli. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.